Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. How many times have you heard some talking head say, the rich need to pay their fair share? (laughs) This always leads me to some questions, of course. Are the rich not paying their fair share? And, And who are the rich? What is fair? What share of taxes would be fair for them to pay? I myself have been a big advocate for a flat tax, even even before Steve Forbes ran on the issue in 1996 and the presidential election. A flat tax is one where there are no loopholes and no tax credits. Everyone pays the same percentage, and this would mean that everyone would pay somewhere around 17 to 20% of their income in taxes. There is not a much fairer tax than one where everyone pays the same percentage, don't you think? But that brings us to our current state of affairs in this country. What is fair for everyone to pay in taxes? And is that different depending on how much money that you make? In this country, we have gone towards uh, a progressive system. No, this, this doesn't mean liberal, though actually mostly liberals support it. It means that more money, the more money that you make personally, the higher the percentage of that money that you pay in taxes. So not just the amount, we're talking about the percentage goes up as well. That is not very fair in any definition of the word, but it is what we have. It is a system that punishes those that have done well. We also have a system of redistribution. To understand this concept, you can think of it as the Robin Hood system. The government takes from the rich and gives to the poor. It it does not matter why certain people have more than others. It just does it. It doesn't matter that some are responsible for the jobs of others and, and, and have made good decisions and this type of thing. It doesn't even matter that there are poor people that are that way because of the decisions that they have made. It just takes money from some and gives it to others. Not a very fair system by any stretch of the imagination. And with that in mind, I wanted to bring to your attention comments made by Scott A. Hodge. He's the president of the Tax Foundation. Given uh, he, he was given uh, these uh, comments. Uh, and prepared these comments for the Senate Budget Committee hearing on March 26th of last year. He says, There is no objective standard for what defines fair share. It is purely subjective concept. But there are facts which are objective, and the facts suggest that the U.S. tax and fiscal system is very progressive and very redistributive. Internal Revenue Service, the IRS data, indicates that the wealthy in America are bearing the heaviest share of the income tax burden than in any time in recent memory. On the other hand, more than 53 million low- and middle-income taxpayers pay no income taxes 
after benefiting from record amounts of tax credits. And six out of 10 households receive more indirect government benefits than they pay in all federal taxes. Meanwhile, the U.S. tax system is one of the most business-dependent systems anywhere as America business, American business uh, pay or remit 93% of the nation's taxes. Economic studies show that workers bear at least half of the economic burden of corporate taxes through lower wages, with women and low-skilled and, and younger workers impacted the most. And because the corporate income tax is the most harmful tax for economic growth, raising the corporate tax rate would not only slow the economy, it would also make the U.S. an outlier once again against our global trader partners. So let's dive into the facts. Number one, the, the rich bear America's tax burden. The most, most Americans would be surprised to learn that a 2008 study by the economists at the uh, Organization of Economic uh, Corporate um, and, and Development, the OECD, found that the U.S. had the most progressive income tax system of any industrialized country at the time. The most. Their study showed that the top 10% of the U.S. taxpayers paid a larger share of tax uh, of the tax burden than their counterparts in other countries. And our poorest taxpayers had the lowest income tax burden compared to the poor taxpayers in other countries due to the refundable tax credit, such as the earned income tax credit and the, and the child tax credit. Our income tax code has only gotten more progressive since then, because of Washington's continuing effort to help the working class taxpayers through the tax code. According to the latest IRS data for 2018, the year following enactment of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, the TCJA, the top 1% of, of taxpayers paid $616 billion in income taxes. That amounts to 40% of all income taxes paid, the highest share since 1980, and a larger share of the tax burden than is borne by the bottom 90% of taxpayers combined. And this, this represents about 130 million taxpayers. In case you are thinking, well, the rich are, are, make more and, and they should pay more, the top 1% of taxpayers account for 20% of all income. That's from the AGI. So, so their 40% share of income taxes is twice their share of the nation's income. Similarly, in, in 2018, the top 0.1%, that means 10% of a 1% share, right? 0.1% of the taxpayers paid $311 billion in income taxes. That amounted to 20% of all income taxes paid, the highest level since 2001. As far as, far back as the IRS data show, uh, allows us to, to, to actually even measure, the top 0.1% of taxpayers in the 2018 paid a greater share of the income tax burden than the bottom 75% of taxpayers combined. You see, millions benefit from tax credits and pay zero 
income taxes. It's hard to say that the tax, the tax code is rigged in favor of the rich when more than 53 million taxpayers, more than one third of all taxpayers have no income tax liability because of the numerous credits and deductions that have been credited and, and, and expanded on in recent decades. The percentage of these f- filers with no liability began to grow following the Tax Reform Act of 1986 and the, the expansion thereof uh, of the zero tax bracket. Since the creation of the child tax credit in 1997, the percentage of income tax filers who have no tax liability increased from 23.6% to 34.7% in 2018. The percentage of filers with no liability spiked to 42% in 2009 with creation of the Making Work Pay tax credit. As the economy recovered from the Great Recession, The percentage of filers with no liability declined to 32% in 2017, and the percentage has begun to spike again after the TCGA doubled the child tax credit from $2,000 from $1,000. This increased the number of non-payers by more than 4 million, from 49.1 million to 53.3 million. Many of these low-income taxpayers received refundable tax credits, which means that they get a check back from the IRS even if they have no income tax liability. They still get it. The combination of deductions and refundable tax credits means many lower income households face negative income tax rates. Yes, I said they face negative income tax rates, which means they get money, right? It's not a negative. According to Congressional Budget Office data uh, for 2017, the lowest quintile faced a negative 10.9% income tax rate, and the second quintile faced a negative 1.0% income tax rate. Quintile meaning you divide at 20%, you divide everything up into into fifths. Of course, households face more than just the individual income tax, and many households in the bottom of the income distribution pay more in, in, in payroll taxes than the individual income taxes. According to the CBO, households across the income spectrum also bear the burden of corporate income taxes and excise taxes. The net effect is that households in the bottom quintile just face just a 1.3 percentage uh, average federal tax rate compared to 31.6% for the top 1%. Now, our fiscal system redistributes $1.7 trillion from the rich to everyone else. A a recent study by the, the Congressional Budget Office, the distribution of household income for 2017 provides an insight into the tax code's progressiveness and, and the, 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 the redistribution effect of federal fiscal policy. Both taxes and direct federal benefits, the report provides estimates of how much households in various income groups benefited in 2017 from social insurance programs, such as Social Security and Medicare, as well as means-tested uh, uh, transfer programs such as uh, Medicaid or SNAP and, and supplemental security income. And, and, and contrast these benefits with 
estimates of how much the households paid in total federal taxes. One way to understand how much households receive in, in direct federal benefits compared to how much they pay in total federal taxes is to create a ratio. So in other words, we can calculate how much in direct federal benefits do they receive for every $1 in total federal taxes paid. Okay, so how much do they get compared to every dollar they paid in taxes? In, in 2017, households in the lowest quintile, the, the bottom 20%, received $67.67 in direct federal benefits for every dollar they paid in federal taxes. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's a good deal, right? If, if I said to you, hey, tell you what, I'll give you a dollar if you give me $67.67 back. And every time I do that, you need, you, you need to give me $67.67 back. That's like a really good deal. Households in the second quintile received $4.60 in benefits for every dollar of taxes they paid. Hey, I would do that one too, right? While households in the middle quintile received $1.60 in total direct benefits for every $1 of taxes they paid. I mean, that, that's, that's still... A great deal. I, I would still do that every day of the week and twice on Sunday. By contrast, households in the fourth quintile received 71 cents in direct federal benefits for every $1 they paid in taxes, while households in the highest quintile received just 15 cents in direct federal benefits for every dollar they paid in federal taxes. For households in the top 1%, their return on every dollar of federal taxes paid, get this, two cents. These figures demonstrate how progressive a tax and, and spending policies have become. The numbers add up to a lot of redistribution. Another way to, to look at the data is in, in aggregates, which allows us to measure how much various income groups receive in indirect government benefits relative to how much they pay in total fact, uh, federal taxes. This will give us a sense of how much federal fiscal policy acts to redistribute income from some groups of American households to other groups. Households in the bottom three quintiles collectively receives more than $1 trillion more in direct government benefits than they paid in all federal taxes in 2017. In other words, 60% of American households receive more in benefits than they pay in federal taxes. By contrast, we can see that households in the top 20% of, of household pay one $1.7 trillion more in taxes than they received in direct benefits, of which $728 billion came from households in the top 1%. In the, the CBO data indicates that redistribution re reduced the incomes of households in the top 1% by more than one-third, while lifting the incomes of households in the lowest quintile to by 126%, those in the second quintile by 46%, and those in the middle quintile by 10%. Those are the results 
that you would expect from a highly progressive fiscal system, which is what we have. Now, there is a danger of taxing wealth. It's enriching foreign billionaires. Some argue that one way of addressing inequality and taxing uh, wealth uh, on on an annual basis, the tax foundation economists model the the impact of the, the wealth taxes proposed by, of course, you know, Senators Warren and, and Senator Bernie Sanders during the 2020 presidential campaign. And the re- there's what the results were, and they may be surprising to many. Our uh, taxes and, and growth general equilibrium tax model determined that these wealth taxes would have a relatively modest impact on GDP, gross natural uh, uh, product. They would have a modest impact, not just on the GDP, but wages and jobs, but would have a big impact on who owns U.S. assets. And why is that? Well, it turns out that the model determined that the wealth tax would force the wealthy to sell their assets to pay the taxes, right? And, and often at discounted prices. Because the U.S. is an open economy and, and capital, and, and capital markets are global, the model indicated that foreign investors would purchase those assets. Well, yeah, right? Which is why the GDP does not fall by much. But what this does mean is that the wealth tax would result in the transfer of ownership of those assets to wealthy Amer- of, of um, wealthy Americans to wealthy wealthy foreigners. Thus, the unintended impact of a wealth tax is that it would transfer wealth from U.S. millionaires to billionaires uh, that that are foreign, and mean that that American workers would increasingly be employed by foreign employers. Now, now owned by by foreigners, these assets would be out of reach of the wealth tax. So when when you tax corporations guess what happens? You get less of them. <laughs> let's, let's now look at, at corp, the corporate side of the tax code, because I think this is kind of interesting. If the tax code were, were rigged in favor of corporations, as so many times you, you hear nowadays, we would, we would have more of them. But today, there are about 1.6 million corporations, the fewest number since 1974. C-Corps reached their zenith in about 1986, right? Right in the the, the middle of of Ronald Reagan's uh, terms and and have been on the decline ever since then. The U.S. now has one million fewer corporations today than it did more than three decades ago. That's a little disturbing. Perhaps one reason for this decline is the fact that the U.S., levied one of the highest corporate rates in the developed world for nearly a quarter century from 1993. Then the rate was increased to 35% until it was lowered to 21% in 2017. Throughout the entire period of having a global, globally high corporate tax rate, the corporate tax collections averaged just 10% of the federal revenues or about 1.8% of the GDP. Perhaps this proves the economic truism that when you tax more of something, 
you get less of it. Of course, of course it proves that. The U.S. tax system is is the most business-dependent system out there. Setting aside the debate over whether a low-tax bill is fair, what is missed in such discussions is that American businesses are, are critical to the tax collection system at every level of government, federal, state, and local. In 2017, EOCD economist Anna Millenzen uh, measured the amount of taxes that businesses in in 24 countries um, distributed to the overall tax collection system. Her report determined that the U.S. was one of the most business-dependent tax systems in the industrialized world. The report found that U.S. businesses either pay or emit more than 93% of all the taxes collected by governments in the U.S. 93%. This includes taxes paid directly by businesses, such as corporate income taxes, property taxes, and excise taxes, as well as taxes businesses remit on behalf of employees and customers, such as as payroll taxes, withholding taxes, and and sales taxes. Without businesses as their their taxpayers and, and tax collectors, or significantly altering the tax system, American governments would not have the resources to provide even the most basic services. Considering the role of the uh, of businesses in collecting the taxes needed to support the functions of our government, one would be hard-pressed to say that the system is rigged in their favor, wouldn't it? The corporate tax is the most harmful for economic growth. A... a uh, a seminal study by by economists at the e, uh, OECD ranked the major taxes in terms of their harm to economic growth. Corporate income taxes were found to be the most harmful for growth, followed in order by personal income taxes, consumption taxes, and property taxes. The reason corporate and income taxes were determined to be the most harmful for economic growth is because capital is the most mobile factor in in an economy and thus the most sensitive to high tax rates right people and the things we own are less mobile and thus less sensitive to high tax rates this is not to say that these factors are you know insensitive to taxation just less so than the taxes on capital tax foundation economists use the tax and growth general equilibrium uh, tax model to measure the economic impact of raising the corporate tax rate to 28%. The model determined that much uh, that such a rate increase would reduce long-run GDP by 0.8%, eliminate 159,000 jobs, and reduce wages by 0.1%. The model also determined that even a less dramatic increase would still, even if even if you went to 25%, you're still eliminating 84,000 jobs. Workers often, often women, low-skilled, uh, young uh, workers, bear the burden of corporate taxes. A, a growing body of, of academic research is indicating that in our global economy, where capital is mobile, but workers are not, workers are bearing a greater and greater share 
of the economic burden of corporate taxes. One recent study found that workers bear 51% of the economic burden of corporate income taxes through reduced wages and, and essentially for the low-skilled women and, and young workers. The, the, the TAG models analysis of raising the corporate tax rate to 28% shows that its impact is not isolated to high-income taxpayers who tend to be the owners of capital. On a, a conventional basis, raising the corporate tax rate to 28% would reduce the after-tax incomes of the top 1% of earners by 1.5% in, in 2022 this year, far higher than any other group. However, because workers bear some portion of the corporate tax, low-income workers would see their after-tax incomes fall by 0.5%, while mid-income workers would see their incomes fall by 0.4%. Those effects are in, in the short run. In the long run, after the model factors in all of the economic effects of tax increases, it finds that, that higher income tax uh, payers would still see the largest reduction in after-tax incomes by 3.2%. However, we can also see that over the long run, the bottom 20% of earners would would watch their incomes fall by 1.5%, three, three times larger than the conventional estimates. Similarly, middle-income earners would see their incomes fall by 1.4% over time. You see, competitiveness matters. Once the, the corporate income tax is the most harmful tax in, in the economic growth, it is critically important that the federal tax rate not be increased above its current 21% level. While some have criticized the, the, the drop from 35% as, as too big a reduction, it really wasn't. But the, the, the rate cut lowered the U.S. standing from the highest amount uh, uh, highest among the 37 na uh, uh, OECD nations to 12th highest when we include the average state corporate tax rate. This is hardly a race to the bottom, as, as some have suggested. The combined federal tax rate um, currently stands at 25.8% compared to a simple average of all those countries, excluding the U.S., of 23.4%. However, if, if, if the federal rate were to be increased to 28%, the combined U.S. rate would jump to 32.3%, making us definitely the highest, particularly when you compare us to China, which is at 25%. So here's, here's the conclusion, okay? Digging through the data, it is difficult to find evidence that the U.S. tax code is rigged in favor of the rich and, and, and the corporations. The wealthiest share of the income tax burden has never been higher. Redistribution from, from them has never been greater. And more than 53 million low to middle income Americans pay no income taxes because of the generous credits and deductions benefiting them. Moreover, the 21% U.S. tax corporate tax rate is now average among our peers, but the number of corporations is at a 50-year low after decades of levying one of the highest corporate tax rates in the developed world. Raising the corporate tax rate to 20% would likely accelerate 
this trend to spur more companies to either become pass-throughs or move their headquarters to friendlier tax climates. We ought to be, be worried about the impact of corporate taxes on women, on low-skilled workers, on young workers, as, as raising the corporate tax rate would simply hurt them even more. Addressing income inequality by expanding tax credits is is palliative. It it does nothing. It does nothing to raise real incomes and long term living standards of working people. A better way is to focus on permanent tax policies that promote increased productivity, more jobs, higher real wages, and and, and real economic growth. Isn't that the kind of inclusive growth? that all of us could support? You see, we have a system in this country that is not a very fair system. And it's not because the high-end rich people are not paying their fair share. It's not because corporations find every kind of loophole possible. It's none of that. Because they're the ones actually paying the taxes. Many people, many people in this country not only don't pay any taxes, they actually get money from the federal government. It's not a matter of not paying. It's a matter of actually the reverse, the federal government paying them. So what is the rich's fair share? Well, why don't you let me know? Let's start this conversation. And of course, you can always do that at uncommonsensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.